You're listening to AIB Market Talk with our latest financial market update. Hello and welcome to our Market Talk podcast channel. My name is Jane Kavner from AIB Treasury and we are bringing you a special podcast today. We are going to provide an overview of commercial and trade finance and the connection of both to the rebooting of Ireland's economy. I would like, therefore, to extend a warm welcome to a man well known within the Irish invoice discounting world, David Avery, our head of AIB Commercial Finance. I am also delighted to welcome Kieran O'Barn, Head of AIB Trade Finance within our Treasury Unit here in AIB. And of course, welcome back to John Fahey, our Senior Economist, who is a familiar voice to all our listeners on our podcast. A warm welcome to you all. John, I might turn to you first to set the scene, if you will. What are we seeing in the Irish macro data? So over the last uh, couple of weeks, uh, we got uh, official GDP figures for Q2. Uh, so it confirmed that the economy uh, contracted sharply in the second quarter. Uh, and we also saw the first quarter revised down. So previously, the initial estimate for the first quarter showed positive growth, uh, but it was revised into negative. So technically, uh, we met the definition of two consecutive quarters for recession. So the latest data showed that the economy did enter recession uh, in the first half of the year. But the contraction in GDP was actually slightly uh, less than had been expected. So we contracted by 6.1%, which is still... Uh, substantial contraction in, in any quarter. Uh, but compared to elsewhere, if you look at the Eurozone, there was contraction of nearly 12%. In the UK, of nearly 20%. Uh, we fared relatively well uh, compared to elsewhere. Uh, so why is that the case? Well, what helps Ireland and the Irish economy uh, is the fact that uh, a key driver of our GDP is exports. So we saw continuing strength in exports, especially in the pharmaceutical sector and computer services. But really, as we've stressed all along when we talk about the Irish economy, uh, GDP kind of doesn't reflect what's happening in the underlying economy. Uh, so therefore, the GDP figures uh, mass the weaker side to the domestic economy. So what we do then is we look at another measure, which is central uh, CSO has uh, started to produce called Modified Final Domestic Demand. So it strips out the activities of multinationals and aircraft leasing, and it basically gives you a better uh, handle on what's happening in the underlying domestic economy. And from that perspective... Uh, modified final domestic demand contracted by 16.4% in Q2. So that shows the much sharper contraction. That's probably more a reflection of what people are seeing in terms of business people, the hit to their businesses uh, in the first half of the year. Uh, and that contraction includes a 20% contraction in consumer spending and a 28% fall in, in domestic investment in the second quarter. Another indication of just how uh, you know the weakness and the contraction in Q2 is the fact that the average hours worked dropped by 22% compared to a year earlier. So that's all reflecting uh, the, the impact of the lockdown which came in uh, in April uh, and just moved through and, and gradually easing it and moved through the second quarter. Uh, but as I said, probably from a GDP perspective, uh, the contraction was less than expected. But when you look at the underlying indicators of the domestic economy, it does show a sharp, sudden contraction uh, in the first half of the year. Thanks, John. We've discussed structural economic shifts over the summer. What are the latest developments globally for import and export customers over the recent weeks, say? Uh, so in terms of what we're seeing, what, uh, globally we're seeing, uh, you know, what's happened in most of the major advanced economies is we moved through the summer, they started to reopen. So we've seen an improvement uh, in uh, indicators uh, for the third quarter, but we even started to see it uh, around May and June time in some of those key economies that started to reopen. Uh, so that was reflected in survey data for those economies. So what we are seeing is that uh, all indications are so far is that the global economy and some of those key advanced economies uh, will have seen a rebound and record positive growth 
uh, in the third quarter. So it's a, it's, it's a more positive operating environment for the global economy uh, over the last uh, couple of months. But I suppose the key question is, is uh, can that momentum be, be sustained? And so there still is a lot of uncertainty around that, uh, given the fact that, you know, there's concern that spike hiring cases could uh, prompt a reimposition of certain restrictions on economic activity. We've seen some of that in the U.S. in terms of certain states going back into a more restrictive mode from an economic activity perspective. So that is still a concern. But what we're seeing is uh, is that the high-level data for the third quarter uh, for some of our key trading partners in terms of the Eurozone, the U.S. and the U.K. Uh, indicates a pickup in activity. And we're also seeing it for the Irish economy. So we talked about there initially just what was happening in the second quarter. But really, that's the past. The key thing for the Irish economy is, is what's the outlook. And the data for uh, the third quarter is also reflective of what's happening in the advanced economies and reflects with the fact that gradually over the summer, uh, we started to reopen the economy. So what's that reflected in? Well, we're seeing uh, in terms of indicators such as the, our AIB manufacturing services PMIs, a strong rebound uh, in July and continued uh, consistent with growth in August. Uh, we've seen a broad range of uh, indicators like consumer sentiment recovered too over the May to July period, although a lot of those indicators are still below their pre-COVID levels. So what we would stress is things are picking up, uh, but even, even as we see growth to turn the second half of this year into 2021, it could be 2022 before, you know, you could say that the Irish economy and indeed some of our major uh, advanced economies and key trading partners are back to the levels they were at before uh, the crisis hit uh, in the early part of this year. Thanks, John. A lot of uncertainty stood out there, I guess, with regards to the pandemic. David, thanks again for joining us today. Commercial finance provide a range of different invoice finance solutions, all of which are designed to give clients working capital and provide them with immediate access to liquidity. How has the pandemic impacted your business and have you seen a percentage change? Yes, Jane, uh, unfortunately. And as you say, there is there is no one escaping it. Um, I mean, firstly, I would probably mention that so many of our clients have shown amazing adaptability um, and using their own initiative to change their business model. Um, so we've seen a number of, of our clients you know, move into the manufacturer distribution of face masks, personal protective equipment, uh, social distancing signage, hand sanitizers. Uh, even one that moved into the bagging of flour. If you remember, we had a we had a crisis on home baking when everybody was uh, working from home. So, a number of clients have um, actually spotted a gap in the market and changed. But of course, across across the book, um, we did see a, a big shift in in debtor days. Which, if you can, if you think that uh, we're we're funding sales invoices, that's a, a key metric that we track. You know, how long are our clients being taken to be paid by their own customers? So at the end of May, just under 40% of our portfolio had shown an increase of 10 days or more, i.e. 10 days longer they're waiting to be paid by their own customers than they did uh, in May 19. Thankfully, at the end of August, that percentage has fallen to just under 10% of our portfolio. So the trend's going the right direction. And also in sales, um, obviously, given we had a, a, um, a huge lockdown in March and April and slowly sectors have started to emerge from that. But again, at the end of May, 62% of our client portfolio uh, reported a, a decrease in sales of 20% in May 20 versus May 19. Again, the trend is going the right way. When I look at the figures for August, that, that figure, that percentage of our portfolio is now 26%. Um, so still 26% of our portfolio is showing a, a decrease in sales of 20% or more. 
but the trends are all going are all going the right way, thankfully. So when we're faced with that sort of uh, challenge across the portfolio, uh, we've been working closely with our colleagues in corporate banking, business banking, and SME banking, and collectively trying to understand, you know, what is the requirement for each of these customers, and 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 each customer does have a different requirement. Just as our invoice finance uh, facilities are tailored for each of our clients and they are bespoke, so are the solutions that need to be put in place. So, with it from an invoice discount perspective, what we've done is we've tended to ex extend the funding periods. Uh, we've we've increased debt of funding limits. We've also increased advance rates. And these these um, in, in amendments and modifications to our existing uh, facilities are often in line and in conjunction with payment breaks, um, and along with also now the government initiatives and government support uh, or government back support. So we've seen a huge change, but thankfully it sort of ties in with what John said uh, earlier, that the trends are going the right way. We are seeing customers reopening, sales increasing, and uh, more importantly, they're actually being paid uh, nearer the timescales that they were this time last year. So for our, our product now, we're seeing a, um, a bigger uptake in invoice discounting, A, for funding that, that working capital gap, providing certainty, but also as the economy reboots and starts to reopen, um, you know, growth is a great thing, but it takes, it takes working capital to fund it. So that's where uh, invoice finance is now beginning to play a part as well. Thanks, David. It's interesting, actually, you mentioned the adaptability of customers. It's something we too have actually noticed in Treasury. We've noticed a number of customers who now require foreign exchange rates and guidance as they've diversified their products and indeed their markets too. I would like to bring Kieran O'Byrne in now. Kieran, as head of AIB Trade Finance here within the Treasury family, what trends have you seen developing throughout the pandemic? Yes, Jane, uh, I can honestly say we certainly noticed an increase in demand for letters of credit. Uh, the economic fallout from COVID lockdowns has made exporters more nervous about getting paid. And we've seen an increase in the number of letters of credit coming into AIB for Irish exporters. It's something I'm glad to see because in the past, it used to amaze me speaking to some exporters and getting feedback on, on the product where they would find it uh, too complex and expensive and were actually willing to forego the the security of a letter of credit and do open account just because of the, they found it a bit more awkward to use. But now, since the pandemic, there is definitely a move back towards more letters of credit. And even likewise, I've seen it from an importer's perspective in that we are now issuing more letters of credit out for on behalf of Irish importers, so securing their payment obligations to uh, foreign exporters. And Karen, any other trends you are seeing? Yeah, one other interesting trend I've seen since the beginning of this pandemic is the number of inquiries I receive from Irish companies who are looking to diversify into the PPE business. So these are companies in different industries, uh, all of a sudden looking to diversify into the importation and sale of PPE. Every week now, I'm getting inquiries from companies who seem to have this opportunity to import large quantities of PPE, mainly from the Far East, but I suppose more particularly China. What I say is for those looking at this, I should point out that there are challenges. And the key stumbling block that I've come across is the completing the financial uh, requirements. 
PP has now effectively become, I suppose, like a, a commodity. Uh, and without a doubt, there will be, there is current demand and there will be demand into the future for this. And therefore, it has become a seller's market. As the demand has grown huge, huge across the globe, and Chinese sellers are now dictating the terms on which they are willing to sell because they have buyers lined up. And what I've noticed today is their, their terms of sale are extremely challenging in that it can be 30% on order and 70% before the goods leave the country. Or, or some people have negotiated uh, maybe 50-50, 50 on order and 50 leaving the country. So anyone looking to import PPE, this presents a challenge for them because they're going to have to finance that purchase. In other words, funds are going to have to be paid over to the seller in advance of any goods leaving. And you will find that the buy, the ultimate buyer, the end user of this product, whether it be a health authority or other uh, industry within the health uh, sector, uh, they will be uh, more inclined to agree payment based on the arrival of goods and inspection of the goods once they have arrived. And, and I think we've seen in the news before of goods, PPE goods arriving and not being of the quality. So this leaves a gap between what the seller is looking for in China, looking for payment upfront, and the buyer looking uh, to pay on arrival. And there's no easy solution to this. Indeed, sure, didn't it make headline news not too long ago at the outset with regard to the quality of products, etc. You know, it's heartening to see how our customers have adapted in the face of this crisis and how we can provide support as they meet these new challenges for their businesses. Karen, I guess, what would you say to our customers who are considering going down this road and the new challenges? What one thing would you say to them? Yeah, I, look, I think going back to what I said, and that is look at the payment terms. Don't get too excited about numbers. Uh, the volumes can be quite big. Uh, and with big volume is big price. And I suppose a big price is big margin, but it all will look nice until you go and you try and put uh, the financial arrangements in place. It is unlikely that a bank will lend uh, to bridge the gap between the uh, the seller's demand for payment and uh, and then money coming in from the ultimate buyer. So give that further thought and maybe look at a letter of credit. Come and talk to us and see if perhaps. We could in some way structure a letter of credit that, that, that may or may not work. But I will advise that uh, in the Chinese sellers are kind of reluctant to change their current payment terms. Thanks, Karen. One other challenge that is out there, of course, is that of Brexit. John Fahey, I might come back to you now on this note. Given the headlines we've seen of the past week, there's a bit of a roller coaster ahead. What can we expect in the next few weeks? Yeah, so what we've seen over the last week or so is that the market kind of focused a bit more uh, on the Brexit risk again. I suppose for a good while, uh, all the focus was on COVID and the impact that was having on the global economy. Uh, but what we saw in the last week or so, given the uh, UK government's decision uh, around uh, the introduction of its internal market bill, and the fact that that uh, would override some key aspects of the withdrawal agreement, including the special dual arrangement for Northern Ireland from a customs perspective, has kind of increased concerns given the fact that 
you know, tensions between the EU and the UK have, have, have heightened, which makes it more tricky to negotiate a trade deal. And the trade negotiations, even before now, uh, you know, we're making very limited progress. So I would say between now and the end of the year, the volatility and sensitivity of sterling uh, will remain to the fore because of the fact that the clock is ticking. And in reality, we really have to the end of October for both sides to agree a trade deal, given that we need around two months uh, to get different parliamentary uh, approvals uh, put in place. So over the next couple of weeks, uh, I think the market's going to be increasingly sensitive to news flow in relation to Brexit uh, and just the uncertainty around it. And even if we do get an agreement, it's likely to be a fairly basic free trade agreement. So customers and SMEs trading with the UK need to be mindful of the fact that a free trade agreement is a completely different arrangement uh, to the current access that we have to the UK through the fact that they're still in the single market. Uh, so everything will fundamentally change, even if there is a trade deal in place at the start of next year. And that's something that's important to bear in mind. And in the meantime, we do expect ongoing volatility and sensitivity for sterling. Again, more uncertainty for our customers. Kieran, just to come back to you briefly, what would be your major concern with regard to the impact of Brexit? Yes, Jane, I certainly have one concern, um, and that is that there are many exporters out there who are currently exporting through the UK into mainland Europe, using the UK as a, a land bridge into Europe. And I don't know whether they're aware of it or not, but from the 1st of January next year, there will be a requirement for all such goods to be covered under a transit guarantee. This is a guarantee in favour of uh, Irish Revenue Customs. It basically secures the payment of duty should goods enter the UK and ultimately not exit at the other side. But every shipment going through UK and out the other side to Europe must be covered under this transit guarantee. So this guarantee, it's a guarantee, it's issued by a bank, so issued by a bank such as ourselves. And to be honest, I expected to see a huge surge in demand from uh, our customer base for transit guarantees because of the amount of goods that do transit in this way. And to be surprised, to be honest, Jane, I'm just not seeing it. There, you know, there isn't a volume of requests coming in that I would have expected. That's interesting that you say that, Kieran. David, how is commercial finance assisting clients facing the challenges that Brexit would bring? Are you seeing the same as Kieran? Yes. Well, I suppose we're now talking about Brexit, and Brexit, in a way, almost seems like BAU. Uh, we were we were worried about Brexit before we'd ever heard of of COVID or coronavirus, but it's the focus is back on Brexit now. And for a number of our clients, Brexit has made them look outside the UK market. Um, I mean, Kira mentions their UK being as a land bridge, but but ultimately a number of clients are expanding on what export trade they've already done, or looking at new territories. And with that um, comes a degree of risk. Um, and, and it requires a degree of homework to, to be done. Who the end customer is, what are the payment terms associated with that, are there any risks specifically in that territory, as well as the logistical challenges that go with that. So invoice finance, as we were mentioning earlier, bridges that gap between the selling of goods and services and actual final payment from the debtor. And that's something that we provide, whether they be domestic debtors, domestic customers or, or export ones. Within commercial finance, we will look to fund those export debtors um, equally as if they were based in Ireland or, or the UK. 
Um, we will look to see who, who the debtor is, what the terms of payment are, uh, is there a history of payment there? And we have large experience of funding uh, export debt with, a, with our existing client base. So it's good to talk to us and indeed Kieran and his team in Treasury because there's a whole wealth of knowledge within AIB regarding some of the challenges when trading in export territories, particularly new ones. So the provision of invoice finance you know, provides a degree of comfort in knowing that that working capital requirement that's needed to help fund export sales is there. When entering a new market, um, it might be necessary to offer increased payment terms. So whereas some of our clients are used to receiving payment from their own customers within 30, 45 days, if they're selling into a, a new territory, uh, for example, Italy, uh, often the payment terms are longer. And we will fund that uh, gap. So at least that's that, that concern is taken away from them. They're able to enter that market. And I suppose ultimately, um, you know, lessen the reliance on, on UK sales. John, David, thank you and thanks. The challenges are sadly many for our customers, but hopefully our podcast today has provided insight into the products that may provide certainty in an uncertain world. My special thanks to our panel today, David Avery, Head of AIB Commercial Finance, Kieran O'Byrne, Head of AIB Trade Finance, and John Fahey, our Senior Economist. Once again, we hope we have brought you our customers some key learnings to help your business navigate this crisis. For more detailed information on this special podcast, please see details and links attached. For the full range of AIB supports available to our customers, please visit aib.ie forward slash COVID-19. Please join us for the next episodes in our Market Talk podcast channel. Do please press the subscribe button to AIB's Market Talk in the podcast app for iOS or Android. Take care. Thank you for listening and we'll speak with you soon. Thanks for listening to the latest edition of AIB Market Talk. Allied Irish Bank's PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. First Trust Bank is a trademark of AIB Group UK PLC, authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority. Allied Irish Bank GB and Allied Irish Bank GB Savings Direct are trademarks used under licence by AIB Group UK PLC, authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority.